Hi, I'm Melanie Walker and this is Grounded. If gardening is your passion, this is the place to be to find out about what's happening in the gardening world. And yes, if you want to find out what's happening, as we said, this is the place to come to. We talk about all things green, about things that are environmental, and sometimes about things that are just a little bit silly as well. But um, we've got something rather serious to be discussing at the moment. With the recent Arbor Week here in South Africa, um, I think though, like they do if we have Women's Day, all of a sudden the whole of August is Women's Month, I really do believe that September should just become Arbor Month. And there is no better time in the world it seems, not just in South Africa, that you should be planting trees. There's been so much talk about the forests burning. Everybody's been getting all hit up about the Amazon when we don't even think about what's happening in the DRC and the subtropical forests in Africa, let alone the fact that they burn almost the whole of, where is it, Borneo and Southeast Asia is underneath a huge haze the whole way through the September month, with the president there a couple of years ago saying, well, you know what, we supply free oxygen to the rest of the world for 11 months of the year. You can deal with our burning for one month, which I think is a little bit short-sighted. But it has become a thing with people are posting things about China planting three and a half billion trees, having the largest man-made forest in the world, about Indians, and I use the word advisedly because that's what he is, he calls himself an Indian, down in South America, an Inca, who has single-handedly replanted a forest of countries in Africa who are planting three million trees over a weekend. It's become one of those things that we need to be looking at. And especially here in South Africa, where things like shot hole borer have become very much part of the news and the local news landscape. So to debunk and demystify and give us the best advice available when it comes to trees, we have one of our top arborists in the country and the voice of reason amongst all the madness which is going on, Julian Ortlep of TreeWorks. Thanks for coming in and joining us again. Well, thanks for having me again. You've been running around the world though, haven't you? Been looking at trees or just having a holiday? Uh, no, I was overseas on holiday, but I look at every tree wherever I go. So yeah, and you know, we were in Italy and there, they've also got a crisis on their olives. They've got a disease that's taking out thousands and thousands of olive trees. Would you say that the, most of the stuff is, you know, some people say it's global warming, some people say it's the global village and, you know, because that's why bugs can travel around the world so easily. Or do you think that this would happen even if it wasn't for the intervention of man? I think it's a combination of the effects of global warming and the global village. For example, this shot hole borer we have here, I maintain it got here because of the global village scenario, because there's so much stuff moving all over the world mm. today. So that's how we brought it here, somehow. Mm. Somehow, and mm. we're still not quite sure how. Now, for those who've not heard about shot hole borer, well, then they must be living under a rock. Um, when did it first come into South Africa? Who found it and what, how has it managed to spread? So Dr. Trudy Pop first found it in the Botanical Gardens in Peter Maritzburg. And I think it was in 20, where we not, 2019, 2016 mm. that she found it there. And from there, that was sort of like the early days. And then very shortly after that, we found it in Joburg. But we didn't know what it was because we were not connected with Trudy Pop. Mm. Only when we got hold of the universities, Dr. Pop and uh, Wilhelm de Beer, who were dealing with it at the time, did the dots start to join and we realized what we had in Johannesburg as well. Okay, so they're at the University of Pretoria as well. Yes. Yeah, it's Fabi, the Fabi, yeah. um, Biotechnical Institute. Yes. So, I mean, people are going, oh, how can I actually see what it is? But it's, it's, 
it's been quite strange because people have come to this rather late. You and I were talking about this a couple of years ago and talking to city parks and saying, we think we have a problem on our hands. And they're like, no, it's not a problem. Are we still having that situation with people going, oh, we've got to do something? And everybody's going, no, well, we can't do anything. Well, the sad reality is we're in a different, or in a, I would say we're in a worse situation because of the lack of response by the authorities. Had they responded appropriately when it was first detected, I'm not saying it would have gone away, mm. but I'm saying the scenario could be quite different. If we look at how they're handling it in Cape Town, uh, I think they've learned a lot from our mistakes up here, and they're making sure that they don't make the same mistakes, is they have already removed, I think it's 108 Asinagundo trees. They are removing other ones when they find them. Some people are because they, they are considered a what I call a lure tree because it'll be the first tree to be affected. Mm. Ace, the the, the Shotelbora loves that tree, reproduces in them at a horrific rate. And so they're being on top of it and they're dealing with it. Whereas up here in Joburg, the authorities from day one haven't dealt with it. And we now have the scenario where I believe containment of the, the bug in Joburg is, is past and gone mm. because it spread so far. You know, we still don't have a place to dispose of the stuff properly. I believe they are disposing of it effectively or in a better way than or anything would be better than what we have in Joburg, disposing of it correctly so that they are being quite proactive. And mm. that, is, that is a major difference in dealing with a pest like this. You've got to be proactive about you it. It's reactive, to. it's too late already. Mm. Because it was about two and a half years ago that a friend of mine, and I think I got you in to come and have a look at it as well, with an Asa Nugunda. And in fact, that tree she had in her garden was the tree that started all the other Nugundas down the road because in the good old days, people would come and get cuttings and then grow it on from there. Yeah. Every single tree of the Asas in that street are gone. And they were the first ones that we saw getting hit. But we're still driving along in the parks areas and you see all of these plane trees, which have either got the big red dot or the danger tape. But they're all in leaf at the moment. I have a feeling about these plane trees, that they are working out how to fight back. There's something different about the plane trees. And even when I speak to the prof and, and the others who are what I call the clever people out there, they don't know what the difference is. And I maintain that therein may lie some sort of a secret or answer to um, treatment for this, or even more so the trees that are host trees and not reproductive host trees. Why do they not want to breed in one tree, but they choose to breed in another? Mm. I think the plane trees are fighting a good fight. However, they're not going to last forever. And my, um, what should I say, my gauge that I use is those particular ones that grow on Jansmats through Dunkeld because they were some of the first to be affected. Mm. And all of us tree guys who are on a group, we say, hey, I wonder how the plane trees on Jan Smuts are going to come out in spring. And you can see they're getting thinner, the leaves are getting smaller, there are two dead ones, it's just taking longer. Mm. But hopefully that will happen, because I know that you've had some accusations leveled against you about your statements with planting trees. Yeah. Okay, so this is something I say to everybody, is that these are the trees that they consider vaguely safe to plant. If you see that you have a tree which is dying or has been infected or infested with this shot hole borer, then plant another tree immediately. Because they always say the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. Second best time is right now. Why are people leveling these accusations against you that you're talking nonsense? So, you know, we this is a hell of an emotional issue. Trees create a lot of emotion amongst people. But I think we also need to be sensible and realistic here. 
when I put out a list of high felt trees, though there was particularly uh, for the high felt area of trees to plant, I had a couple of people come back and say I was being irresponsible and did I know that the person who recommended planting trees in America got sued, blah, blah, blah. Look, we have to keep planting trees. We cannot push pause. Absolutely. Uh, I have no problem recommending people and obviously they must decide for themselves what they want to do but i have no problem recommending trees to plant just don't plant reproductive host trees mm. if you've got a tree that's a host tree in my opinion plant it and you know one of the arguments was but we don't know how these trees are going to react blah 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 we won't know how they react if we don't plant them mm. so this is true. we have to plant and as you alluded to earlier the planet is in a crisis we are losing trees climate is in a crisis we cannot push pause on planting trees because we don't know how they're going to react. We have to plant trees. There are lists that people can refer to refer to for reproductive host trees and which ones not to plant. And I maintain it still as far as I'm concerned, in my opinion, you can plant a host tree at this point in time because it's not contributing to the proliferation of the beetle. What we don't know, yeah, and this is what people need to be aware of, is that when this beetle has eaten into all all the trees it's currently eating into. Is it going to change its diet and is it going to move on to some of the trees that are on the list as reproductive host trees or host trees that we have not yet seen them attacked? Mm. So that we don't know. But because of that, we cannot push pause and stop planting. But hang on, I mean, this has been a problem over in places like Israel and California for, what, 10 years? Yeah, about that maybe long. a bit more even. Mainly, and it's been a big problem for them because the borer also goes for citrus. And of course, those are two big citrus-producing areas. Why have they not come up with something that will work? Well, I think it's just the nature of the beast. There are products out there that, you, that they do have, but there's been no cure, mm. and there is still no cure. We have various products here that are possibly a step in the right direction, but nobody can come to you now and say that they have a cure for the borer. But there was something in the press and was all over social media that there's a company called Panath that, oh, we've got a cure for this. And I'm sitting and thinking, no, no, no. Okay, how long have you had to do the trialing? You've got to do trials for quite a while. Have they done that trialing and how can they claim that it's a cure? Okay, so I think it was misreported. Mm. Um, it wasn't Panath's fault. I think that was just reported poorly. Um, so it's the press again. The, yeah, there was an issue with the way it was reported, I believe. So... PANAF have created the product fungicide, which has just been registered, which I believe is a step in the right direction. Mm. It's an organic product. We are trying it. I think that they have done well in developing what they have, and I hope it will be part of the approach to trying to save trees. A prophylaxis. Yeah, so mm. it'll be part of a recipe, but mm. it is not the cure. And I think the guys at PANAF, or Pete and Louis, will, will agree with what I'm saying. Mm. So we must be very careful because the water has become very muddied and we knew this would happen as soon as the people realized the extent of this problem mm. then dollar signs would appear and people would come up with all these kind of solutions and you just need to be sensible about when people come to you with some kind of a program or solution i mean we've heard about garden fairies and all kinds of things oh, yeah. we can go and spray the trees with eucalyptus because it'll make everything smell so much better and it'll fight the bug but for people who don't understand how it works i mean it's not just the shot hole borer which is the problem it's a tiny little bug of which we know, and you're sitting and talking about fungicides. So I'm sure that people are sitting and saying, why are you not talking about insecticides rather than a fungicide? Okay, so yeah, there is the fungus that the beetle brings along, and that's what it feeds off. So basically brings its food with it, which it then rubs off uh, on its body, which is spores, which it rubs off while it's boring into the tree. So 
in my it would be my hope upon all hopes that if we spray with a product like the panaf fungicide that kills the the fungus in the tree mm. and basically sanitizes the beetle that would be even better because we wouldn't need an insecticide if we wouldn't need if, it yeah i mean i'm not a, a scientist by any means but just thinking about it wouldn't it be lovely if we could sanitize the beetle and kill the fungus in the tree without having to use an insecticide and only yeah. using organic um fungicide that's the whole thing is people are saying okay we got to spray our trees with insecticide but I'm, those beetles are so small. By the time that beetle's gone right into the middle of the tree, those the cambium layer has gone and closed up the hole on the outside. Yes, sure, there'll still be exudation. But can anything get into those holes if you spray the tree? Wouldn't it be better to be using a systemic or an injectable? So the PANAF product has got a lipid. It works on lipids. And they claim that it delivers that poison or that treatment up to 10 centimeters into the tree. Mm. Nothing else can do that. If you're using a systemic, it's going in the flow. You remember, it's just arming the, yes. the vascular bundles. It's not going deeper in. So that's a very big plus with that treatment. And they are waiting for another product to be registered, which you would then add your insecticide to. So we generally use a tree injection for as a preventative or as part of our treatment mm. for the borer. But it's not you can't use that on its own, particularly a tree that's already infested. And this is why... It's a bit late in the game now, but last season we realized we have got to try and get ahead of this beetle instead of chasing it. Mm. And when we started a proper preventative regime, which also includes making your trees healthy and keeping them happy. Exactly. I mean, whenever people come in and buy trees, first of all, when they say, oh, I want to buy a coral tree, I'm like, okay, you can have one, but this is what you're going to have to do because it is very tasty for the shot hole borer, Mm. is when you plant it, make sure once it's planted and it's settled in, to do all the preventative treatment, not just feeding it, but putting down a systemic insecticide, systemic fungicide, and keeping an eye on those trees to make sure that they're not showing any signs of being under attack. Definitely, and I think try and limit your um, treatments to organic as far as possible. Okay, so organic is the way to go. But there's so many people who are also sitting out there and saying, you know, why don't we find out what it is that is the natural predator of this bug over in Vietnam and get that and bring it out here and let it loose on the tree so that it actually goes and kills the bug? I believe that they are working on, on that and they've been working on the biological control in the States and here, but you cannot just release that because one has to be quite sure that it's not going to itself cause an issue in the environment when it's mm. released. Because that has happened in the past where they mm. brought in something to yeah. uh, you know, take over something else and the next thing it's killed off all our ladybirds, for instance. Yeah, so they've got to be very careful. It's just not as simple as that. Now, when it comes to trees and planting them, there are certain ways of doing it. And I think that we should really make sure that people, when they plant a tree, know what they're doing. And it's not something that's just going to put there and leave there. You've got to really look after it. Yeah, so obviously planting a tree, when you plant a tree, you're installing infrastructure. Mm. That's the thing I think people are slowly starting to realize is that trees need maintenance. When you build a house, you paint your walls and you do whatever you do to maintain it and the trees require the same because they are there for a long time and they are part of an infrastructure. So when you plant your tree, it's got to be planted correctly. One of the biggest mistakes people make, obviously, is planting them too deep. You often receive them from the nursery too deep because they've been moved from bag to bag or planting, mm. planting mm. container to container. Always need to find that flare where the roots come out. Plant it at the correct level. Don't go and dig a meter by meter hole with a whole lot of compost in the bottom. We have realized over time that that makes the roots lazy and they tend to stay there and don't venture out to find what they need. We dig a saucer-shaped hole, which is a lot less work, and we plant our tree at the correct level of that. 
Do not replant turf around your tree. Your turf will win the battle if you're trying to establish your tree. It should have a competition-free zone. So keep the lawn away, as big a circle as you can mm -hmm. around the tree. Give it a nice dose of fertilizer when you plant it on the top, compost and fertilizer on the top, mulch it and water it. It's such a simple application, mulch. But mulch does wonders for, for a garden and for trees. Mm. Brings back that forest floor and it's relatively cost-effective. I mean, very cost-effective. And you'll see a huge improvement in the quality of your plants. And apart from anything else, of course, it helps with the evaporation of water. So yeah. it's actually keeping the moisture down and in. Mm. So, I mean, it's really not rocket science. And it's the one thing that we have the most with people saying, you know, how do I plant my tree? When should I plant a tree? I'm like, plant a tree today. <laughs> Go and do it. You know, we always think, we as humans think we're very clever. Mm. But nature is cleverer. Yes, I always say, you know, and I point to the top of my head, humans are here, and then I put my arm up as far as it'll go, plants are there. If you think about how trees grow, a seed drops into the ground and it grows. Mm. There's nobody that comes and digs a big hole for that seed. No. It finds its place and it grows. And I understand a seed dropping out of a tree is different to growing a plant in the nursery. Mm. But I think that the way it grows, or, or, should be, you know, we look at it the same way. Yes. So we need to just think about that. Okay, well, when it comes to trees being grown, there's a lot of people who believe that we should be getting rid of every type of invasive tree in the country. And we do have a list of invasives. And I had some very heated conversations with people during the drought in Cape Town who wanted to go and chop down all the eucalyptus. And I'm like, well, what are you going to put in its place? Mm. And they say, oh, we're going to put something indigenous. I'm like, and how are you going to make it grow if you've got a drought on? And what about the soil that it's holding in place? Yeah, there is a debate, I believe, that needs to, or a discussion that needs to take place with regards to this classification of invasives or exotics, aliens slash aliens. For example, the eucalyptus trees. Mm. They are very, very beneficial to our bees. And we know how important the bees are to us. Mm. A eucalyptus forest will not spread as fast as, for example, a, a wattle a forest from mm. the mother plant. They're two completely different things. I mean, I, in fact, I have clients who've got a 60-hectare 60, 60 property and we are maintaining a bluegum forest there because we've identified it as being beneficial mm. from that point of view. And so we need to look, really look at that and not have this blanket remove it because it's exotic. There's a difference between a tree that's creating a problem, and I think this is why they do classify them yeah. in the invasive species document. But I think we need to realize it, it can't be a blanket eradication of plants. You've got to look at it regionally and let's start looking at the benefits that they may be providing versus the negatives that yes. people say that they are causing. So I think given the time, times have changed. And I think we really need to just be a little bit more objective in the way we, we approach that. Look, I mean, I, I have to be honest, I have invasive species in my garden, but they're in my garden. They're not going anywhere. They haven't gone anywhere. They've been there, some of them, for 40 years. Yeah. And I know I should take them out, but they're not going and hurting anything. Well, you know, this whole Bora crisis has actually made me relook at things and think, hell, you know what, these trees that we are considering a pest, they might be the, some of the few trees we have left. Yeah. And we're going to need them. Yeah, because, I mean, the Bora is not just going, as we said, for like trees that it finds overseas, the Asa Nagunda, what else has been, the plane trees, the oaks. Shirts, yeah. It's also going as I mentioned earlier, for our coral trees, Lysistamin. It's going for the bush willows. It's going for some of the acacias. So, we're, I mean, it's like said, oh, whole new smorgasbord for us to come and eat. Yeah, well, that's what we provided with. Also, I mean, just a point of interest, some of the trees that are being attacked in Natal and in the Cape are not being attacked up here. 
So it's very interesting. I was having this discussion the other day with a group of tree guys at a, at a tree talk, and um, I said, it, it seems like it's regional. The climate in Durban is different. The climate in the Western Cape mm. is different. The climate in Joburg is different. So it's interesting to note that the trees that they say were being severely affected, some of them in the Western Cape, I have maybe seen one, the Yellowwood, for example, mm. up here, that had a few holes in it. It wasn't even a, selected as a, as it wasn't a reproductive host, but it only had a few holes. And I've looked at many, many trees over the last years. Well, something we skipped over, what's the difference between a host and a reproductive host? Oh, simple. A reproductive host is a tree that they choose to breed in. And a host tree is a tree that they go into, but they don't breed. So it still puts the fungus there, but you'll find far less holes. And so the damages to the tree is much less. Mm. Um, and hopefully the tree will survive. And if it is going to die, it's going to take a lot longer. But I believe that a host tree should survive versus a reproductive host tree, which we can see around us dying quickly. Yeah. Again, we're talking about invasive trees. We came across this story, a trending story. I don't know if it's just down in the Cape, but I'm sure that you know the people down in the Cape are a little bit more resistant to change and also more prone to coming up with uh, some wacky ideas. One of this is whacking, or should we say hacking, down alien trees for sport. Groups of people are wandering South Africans' mountains doing this. What do you think of this idea of hacking down alien trees for sport? Look, we always call for participation or public participation. And, and I suppose it's from that point of view, people are getting involved and it's a good thing. As long as it's been done in a controlled manner, mm. the people who are going out there are knowing what they're cutting. And also, you know, the use of herbicides um, – one has to be careful with as well because they use herbicides when they poison them. Mm. So those have to be used responsibly. So, you know, because there can be a knock-on effect to the entire surrounding feinbos. Sometimes when they cut down a tree and they poison it, you can see the feinbos around the tree also dies. Yeah. Because there's a whole below-ground system, ecosystem, you know, where the roots are communicating yes. and, and so on. I had the misfortune of poisoning some trees in the garden and the whole garden died. This is something, I mean, I've also seen the story about the fact that trees actually... They don't make trunk calls, but they actually use their roots for communication to yeah. each other. I mean, much the same way that some of those acacias that giraffes like to eat will suddenly put out something and all the other mm. trees in the area will suddenly become unpalatable. Yes. Is there that communication that's going on down at root level? Oh, yeah. They've done a lot of uh, research into it. And the trees, uh, they, communicate, they communicate above ground and below ground. Mm. And I don't think below ground has really been given the time that it should be given in terms of when we look at a tree, people often just see it from the ground up. Mm. They don't think what's happening below ground and how much of it is below ground and how important the below ground is to the above ground. If your below ground is not happy, mm. your above ground is not going to be happy. Well, I mean, so, there's just as much going on underneath as the height yeah, of the tree itself. Yes, Exactly. So there is a hell of a, a relationship between... Um, the roots of the tree. But this hacking thing, I mean, I say here, in eight months, a three-person team hacked more than 2,000 invasive alien trees for fun. So hacking mixes hiking with cardio and strength workouts. Now, I know I've done it in certain parks in my little area in the parks where we've gone and seen the wattles or there's the solanum or willow trees. Not willow trees, uh, uh, mulberry trees, which are on the watercourses. Mm. So I know I get a good workout from doing it, but I'm a bit worried that people might actually, as you said, take out trees that could then be left quite happily because they're saying they're going for the water-guzzling trees, especially down in the Western Cape. They're looking at pine and hakia. Yes. So they are a bit of a problem for semi-arid South Africa, consuming a lot of water and pushing indigenous plants to extinction, especially as we lose about 6.5 billion rand to invasive species and alien plants, which are threatening up to a third of the water supply in the Eastern and Western Cape. 
Look, it's definitely important to manage the aliens or the invaders. Yeah. But like I said, I think one needs to look at it. We need to just maybe revisit it a bit and, and um, change the way we, we do it or we, mm. as we, when we started, when we initially started dealing with them. Yeah, it's a bit sad that there don't seem to be any many checks and balances in place a lot of the time with these bugs running around and invasive trees being a problem and nobody really monitoring it from a governmental level. Yeah, well, certainly here yeah, that's an issue. I know that some of my colleagues, Anton, took some of the deaf folk around to look at borer trees mm. in Joburg. They actually had no idea. They'd never seen it. Um, they didn't know how it affected the trees. So he took them around and... To me, it just blew my mind that you've got people who are dealing with the issue, mm. who haven't seen the issue. Mm. That's How crazy. do you deal with it if you haven't seen it? So there are problems, mm. and they do need to buck up. Okay, so if people want to find out if their tree is infected, first of all, they could probably get hold of you, or and I'm saying a reputable arborist, because there are a lot of cowboys out there. I mean, I think that... People need to do the research before they get somebody and get a second opinion. Mm. Don't be scared to get a second opinion. Um, we do it when we're going in for a surgery or whatever. We often say, oh, no, you know, it sounds quite hectic. Let me get a second opinion. Your, your tree is also <laughs> important. So get a second opinion on your tree, and then you must decide which way, which one you feel more comfortable with and which makes the most sense to you. Mm. Are you going to start a hacking group? In <laughs> hackers of the world unite. No, I mean, but like from tree hackers. You know Do you think what, it would be a good idea up in Johannesburg to teach people as well? Yeah, Joburg's just such a different scenario because it's an urban forest. Yeah, we have the sprite and so on, so we could we could do that kind of mm. thing along there. But you know, it's a different scenario to like the mountains of the Western Cape. And yeah, I mean, I don't know, maybe, maybe, mm. just a maybe. All right, so great resources for people, of course. The one that I say to everybody, please get along to have a look at JUFA, which is the Johannesburg Urban Forest Alliance. On there, they have pictures of what the trees, the host and reproductive host trees look like when they've been uh, assailed, shall we say, by the borer. But they've also got names and numbers of, of good arborists on there, haven't they? I think they do. And they also have a list of reproductive and non-reproductive host trees. Yes. Which you can refer to. Yeah, I push that out there on every single site at yeah. least once a week to make sure people know. But if they are worried, how could they get hold of you? Ah, oh, they can get us on 011-884-8088 or simply email us info at treeworks.co.za. And do you have a lot of this information up on your website as well? Some. Some. It's changing all the time. We battle to keep up. <laughs> okay, so if you're a bit worried about your trees or you're worried about the country and you want to go out there and do your part for the environment and saving stuff, do something about it now. Don't sit back on your haunches like the country has done for the last couple of years. Do something positive now. Julian, thank you so much for coming in and uh, hopefully that's changed people's minds on the way they see things and uh, keep us apprised of any new developments, shall we say. Will do. Thanks All for having right. me. And don't forget, of course, you can join us again the next time. We have some interesting people coming into studio. But what do you need to do? Get out, get up close and personal with your tree. Go give it a hug. Make sure it hasn't got any nasty little news in it. And above all, stay grounded. Bye-bye. For show notes and more information about this episode, go to solidgoldstudios.co.za forward slash grounded.